Let's pray together. God, we do sing hallelujah. Oh, we sing hallelujah, for you are a good and awesome God. And in the midst of your goodness, in the midst of our celebration, even this on this Easter day in which we think of your son defeating death and defeating the grave, we sing hallelujah, but we sing in our hallelujahs the reality that we still have needs. <laughs> oh, we still have concerns. We have people that we know who are impacted by the coronavirus. We have people that we know who have passed. We have people that we know who are in sorrow. We have people that we know who are in fear. And, and some of those people are us. And so we pray, God, we pray boldly that you would have your way on our country and on our world. That indeed, if it be your will, that man, this, this virus would lift and you would give praise and glory and honor. But God, if there are things that you desire to teach us in the midst of these days, then so be it. Teach us. Teach us the reality of the importance of our family and the importance of our faith. Uh, the importance of God, just you in our lives. God, teach us that you indeed are in control in all of these things. And even teach us today as we come to your word of the great hope that we have in you. Would you take our time today in your word, a hallelujah time. And would you indeed mature us, grow us, reveal yourself to us. That we might know indeed that you are God and that we are your people. That we might indeed know that you are all powerful for all things in our lives. And in you we might take refuge, that in you we might trust. Uh, may it be, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you know or have heard, but in these days of coronavirus, there are a number of crazy conspiracy theories, right? Uh, in fact, uh, a number of them I, I read about this week. One uh, saying that uh, this whole coronavirus is something we should have known long ago was coming because there was a 1993 episode of The Simpsons that said that it was, right? That somehow The Simpsons are now an authoritative voice into world economy and world health. <laughs> Uh, it's silly, right? But it, the, the Simpsons are not the only place in which these conspiracy theories grow. In fact, I don't often quote Rolling Stone, but, but here's a quote that I find to be true. There's a, a woman, Jen Greigel, who is an assistant professor in communications, get this, specializing in memes and social media at Syracuse University. And she's quoted as saying, when psychological states are peaked and people are anxious, they're more apt to share inaccurate information, much like The Simpsons. And certainly this has been true during these tense days of this virus. Beyond The Simpsons, there's been a couple other things. I, I, I read this week that uh, at one point during this virus, there was a, a theory out there that said if you would just hand dry your hands for 30 seconds, you could do away with the, the virus. Crazy reality. There, there was another uh, conspiracy theory that the government already has a cure, already has a vaccine, and they have for a long time. But indeed, they're not sharing it with us. Crazy, right? I, and, and one that I have on good authority that uh, is definitely not true is that this whole thing started because Chinese people eat bats. Now, these are just crazy ideas. They're absurd ideas, conspiracy theories. But I bring it up because there was another world-stopping event that took place 
that found the same kind of things happening, crazy ideas of the reality of what really took place. People anxious and sharing inaccurate information. The event happened over 2,000 years ago. Kids, uh, you probably know what I'm talking about because it's Easter Sunday. There's my my big clue. Yes, it's the resurrection of Christ. A world-stopping event. There's this man, Jesus, who had become a bit of a revolutionary, creating all kinds of waves in the religious establishment and, and creating all kinds of waves in a political establishment because he claimed to be king. And he's, he's getting all these people riled up. And, and so and, and a result of that, he was arrested and he was executed. But he, get this, had reportedly risen from the dead. Now, because that seemed so absurd, there are a number of conspiracy theories that grew out of that. There's the swoon theory. Maybe you've heard of it. That Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just passed out. And when they took him down from the cross, he was in shock, and so he didn't awaken. When they put him in the tomb, he somehow rejuvenated within the tomb, found his way out, and that's how he rose from the dead. Uh, There's the uh, hallucination theory that, that the disciples and those who were close to Jesus didn't really see Jesus when he rose from the dead. They were just so struck with grief, so overwhelmed with grief, that they thought they saw him, that they hallucinated Uh, that he was indeed alive. There's the other conspiracy theory that the disciples somehow stole the body from the tomb and and then lived in that lie for the rest of their lives and then became this massive uh, movement of Christianity. All uh, conspiracy theories. So what do we say to these? Well, there's much to say. One thing is that, though, if, if Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, then probably we should all go home today. Oh, wait a minute, you all are at home today. Well, maybe if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, Paul would even say this, that we should turn the TV off and go have some fun. The reality of Easter Sunday loses all of its impact, right? If indeed we don't have a resurrection. So we seek the scriptures to know what it is that God says with regard to the resurrection that helps us to have a proof text that disproves all of these conspiracy theories. And this morning I'd like to turn to the words of Peter in Acts chapter 2, but through Peter to a quote that he makes of Psalm 16. So if you're just joining us uh, this Easter, we've been traveling and approaching Easter uh, in the Psalms uh, as we have walked towards Easter. That might sound a little weird because... Uh, Easter actually happened, the birth of Christ happened thousands of years after the Psalms were written. But that's really the point, that we gather today to worship a God that has not only got the virus figured out, get this, but he has even our eternal life figured out. And he has figured it out for a very, very long time. So turn with me first to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 22. Now, you have to understand what's happening in this context. It's Pentecost, right? So Jesus, just last week, rose from the dead, appeared to the disciples, and then ascended into heaven. And and Pentecost is happening as there is a celebration in the city of Jerusalem. And the disciples have gained quite a bit of attention because they're speaking in languages that they wouldn't know. Uh, Literal languages of other nations that common men would have never learned. And they're yet speaking them. And there's flames on their heads. And there's all kinds of miracles happening. And and so the people are, are gathering to see these disciples. And in the midst of that large crowd, Peter stands to preach. And in the midst of that sermon... He begins to talk about this resurrection. He says this in verse 22, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men. But, here verse 24, but God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and I'm going to pause here because what Peter is about to do is quote the Psalms. So hear this, Peter is using David and Psalm 16 as a proof text for the resurrection. Pretty interesting. Uh, How many of you, a show of hands at home, right, would love to know what Psalm 16 says as a result of being a proof text for Peter in this amazing sermon about the resurrection of Christ. Well, I can live in a little dream world here, believing that all of you just raised your hands. And so I'm going to ask you to turn back with me to Psalm 16. We're going to look at this psalm because it is the very psalm that that Peter chose in order to talk about the resurrection. Psalm 16, and I'm going to read the whole psalm. You'll hear in these last verses, the very verses that Peter preached and quoted, but we need the whole psalm in its context. So Psalm 16, hear this. This is the psalm that Peter refers to as the proof text for the resurrection. David writes, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we overlay this song with Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, we see that Peter quotes verses 8 through 11. But in order to get the whole context again of that quote, let's think on the psalm as a whole. And and so verses 1 through 8, I want you to see quickly how Paul, how uh, David moves from prayer to praise to proclamation. Get it? From prayer to praise to proclamation. Hear David's prayer at the beginning of 16 in in verse 1. He says, Preserve me, O God. Literally, David is asking that God be his shepherd, that God be the one who protects him, that keeps him safe, who guards him. Uh, Maybe a familiar prayer for you either in the uncertainty of this virus or a thousand other circumstances in your life. Can you resonate with this prayer? Oh Lord, be my good shepherd. Be the one who preserves me. Keep me safe. It's a great prayer of David. 
But see something here. See how quickly David moves from the prayer to praise. From the prayer to praise. It reminds me of the instruction of the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, when he says, Let us then with confidence, hear that word, confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's exactly what David is doing. As he prays, preserve me, he does so with confidence. And in that confidence, you can hear his praise. Maybe even hear the prayer with the praise. God preserve me, listen, because I know I have confidence in the fact that you are big enough. You are good enough to do so. Preserve me because I have this confidence that I know that you are indeed my good shepherd. I ask you to preserve me, listen, first of all, for you know that you are my refuge. Familiar verbiage in the Psalms. To indicate that God is a place of trustworthy protection. Move to verse 2. I ask you to preserve me because I know and trust that you are good. In fact, the psalmist says, I have no good apart from you. The fact that he has air in his lungs, sunshine to enjoy, food to eat, anything good comes to him. Listen, because of the goodness of God. There is no separation of how he has worked for what he got, that somehow he got lucky in life. There's not 80% of life that he got on his own and 20% of God or, or even vice versa. It is because everything that he has is out of the goodness of God. In fact, verse 3 points out that even the good people in his life come from the goodness of God. And in verse 4, the protection from the people that would lead him away from God is given to him because God is indeed good. Again, God, I ask confidently that you preserve me because I have seen and know that you are my refuge and that I have no good apart from you. This is what David says. Moving to verses 5 and 6. Lord, preserve me because I know you are big. A big church word here. That you are sovereign. Listen to these three phrases that he gives in 5 and 6. That you hold my lot. That the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and I have a beautiful inheritance. He's just saying that, God, you are so big. You're so big, and you hold me in a place in which you know me and love me and have ordained my days for me. You've hold my lot, and you have drawn the lines of my life in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance, not because I deserve it, but, but indeed because indeed you have given it. To me, Preserve me because I've seen in my life that you have purpose for me. Not because everything has been perfect for me. That's certainly not true of David's life. But because even in the darkest moments, I've seen your hand at work. I have known that you hold me. So hear the praise of David. Preserve me. But man, as you preserve me, I know that indeed you are my refuge. I know that there is no good that I get that doesn't come from you. And I know that you are indeed sovereign. To verse 7, Lord, preserve me because I know that you have been my good counselor in dark times. Listen, for us in the days of quarantine, maybe in the days of fear, maybe in the days at least of uncertainty, many of us have found solace in the Word of God. Many of us have found comfort even in the Psalms. This is what David is saying. God, I I have confidence that you're going to preserve me, that your shepherd's hand is about me, because I have received from you so many times before 
inspiration from your counsel, from your word. I I know that's a lot, but I, I hope you see the very honest prayer of David for the Lord to be his shepherd that leads to the praise that he has. And it leads to the proclamation of verse 8. Prayer, praise, and proclamation. The proclamation of verse 8. The place that Peter starts, listen, the place that Peter starts in his proof text of the resurrection. Listen to it. David says, I have set the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Can I say it again? Because I know He is in my life, that He is my good shepherd. I know I shall not be shaken. So shrink this down. Maybe hear the heart of David. In a moment, David cries out to God for his protection. Preserve me, Lord. Then in that very next moment, he praises Him because he knows indeed that God has. And in the very next moment, right, he makes this proclamation. Oh, preserve me, O God, quickly to... I will not be shaken. Now at this point, some of you are thinking, has Pastor forgotten that it's Easter Sunday? Well, I've not. So hang in there. Keep going with me in this psalm. And next see the promise. Hear it. Prayer, praise, proclamation, and now promise. The promise is in verses 9 through 11. In verse 9, there is a therefore, and good people of covenant, you have learned what to ask when you see a therefore. You ask the question, what is it therefore? Well, it's there because there's a, a major transition that gets us to the point. So are you ready for Easter in the Psalms? Listen, we cannot read David's mind as he writes this psalm, but given the structure of it, it is common to believe this, that That the reason David begins the psalm with a prayer of preserve me is not as much out of fear in his life as much as his greatest fear in his death. Let me repeat that. I think by the structure of the psalm, we can come to this conclusion that David, when he starts the psalm with preserve me, O God, and moves from praise to proclamation... He is not necessarily thinking of David preserving him in his life as much as he is thinking of and praying that God would somehow preserve him at the point of his greatest fear, and that is his death. In fact, the praise and the proclamation of what David experiences in life actually becomes the bedrock or the foundation for his confidence that God, listen, will preserve him in death. His prayer of, oh God, preserve me, is to know that his death will not be the end of life. Doesn't that sound good? (laughs) Eternal life? Doesn't that sound good? That we could be assured of life forever with God? That he will preserve us not just in this life, but in eternal life. This is what David is seeking. And get this, is what he finds. In verses 9 through 11, David arrives at an amazing place of confidence in the promise of eternal life. I want you to first see the party in David's heart in verse 9. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being, my whole being rejoices. Now, we know that David was a dancer, right? We see that in the scriptures. We also know that many of you are not. Especially in public. Maybe especially in church. 
But today, listen, you're in the privacy of your own home. So even you very um, conscientious, conservative pew sitter, can you do me a favor today? Can, Can you feel with David what is rising in him out of the shepherd's hand that has him. And, and and just begin to wiggle your toes. Nobody has to see. Just wiggle your toes, right? Nobody's going to see. Nobody's going to know. But begin to allow your whole being to feel the reality of what is happening in this song. Uh, so those of you who are closet presbycostals, uh, you are in the uh, comfort of your own home. You you can run around and, and wave your arms and, and do all you can. And so however is appropriate for your whole body to rejoice, that, that's what's happening here <coughs> with David. Why is the rejoicing happening? Look at verse 10. And here's the point of the psalm. And here's the proof text of Peter in Acts chapter 2. God will not abandon his soul to Sheol or let his Holy One see corruption. What's David realizing? He's realizing that his life does not end in eternal death. That somehow God is going to deliver him, not only from the grave, the best translation of Sheol is grave, but also from eternal corruption. Listen, that God is going to save him from hell. Uh, Many of us are missing baseball right now, right? Imagine, imagine today your team up by one and um, it's the bottom of the ninth and uh, the opposing team is at bat and their number four, their best hitter uh, is up to bat and, and your relief pitcher, this is reminiscent of the Pirates, I know, uh, your relief pitcher unfortunately throws one smack dab across the plate and you watch as that batter just corks and swings and at the hit of the ball on the bat you know that it's going out of the park and you're like ah another heart-wrenching loss but all of a sudden the cameraman catches the center fielder sprinting across the field right and and he he sticks his right foot in the center of the wall and as he climbs the wall just by his feet he 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 puts his glove out over the fence and as that ball is about to go over the fence it falls into his glove, and he snatches it back in for the final out and the greatest victory. It doesn't, for you baseball fans, doesn't that make your toes wiggle? Doesn't make your whole being rejoice? Listen, the story that David is getting right here, right now, that makes his toes wiggle and his whole being rejoice, that makes his heart glad, is that God indeed has given him this assurance that he has saved him. From the grave. He has saved him from hell. He has saved him from eternal death. The fear of death. David's life and fear that, that death is all there is is met with a promise that there will be one who comes from his line, one of his descendants, who will rob death and hell of his soul. <laughs> It was a promise given to him by God through Samuel in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 13, but is now even more fully realized. God will not only preserve him in his earthly life, but he is somehow going to preserve him in death, and he will do so, listen, for forever. And it leads, David, to the words of verse 11 as we wrap up this psalm. 
David says, Oh God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How can, how can we be so confident that this is exactly what David is hearing, that he's hearing in this some reality of a, a resurrection. Well, it's found in the interpretation of these verses in Peter's sermon back in Acts chapter 2. So uh, you probably still don't have your finger there, as I don't, but I would ask that you would turn there back to Acts chapter 2 and see, remember, in this great sermon, Peter is preaching on the resurrection. He gets to these last verses in Psalm 16, and then he interprets them. And he says this, Brothers, I may say to you, this is verse 29 of Acts chapter 2, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, Verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. (laughs) You know what Peter is saying to this huge crowd that is gathered to listen? If David got it a thousand and some odd years ago, how much more should we get it now that we have seen Jesus defeat death and rise from the grave? Peter says if David got the promise of Easter and the resurrection, the presence of the fullness of joy and the promise of pleasures forever. Peter says if David got the answer to his prayer of, oh God, preserve me even in death, then how much more people of Pentecost should we get it? And do you know what God is saying to Stoffer's heart today? If David got it all that, and Peter got all that, then doggone, shouldn't you get all that? And you know what happens when God tells Stoffer something, right? I lovingly share it with all of you, so I would say to you today, if David got it in Psalm 16, if Peter got it in Acts chapter 2, if somehow my thick head can get it in this day, then, then do you get it? Do you get the promise that there is eternal life for you, that you will not suffer defeat at the hands of the grave. You will not suffer hell when indeed we believe in the one who has risen from the dead. The people of Pentecost in light of Peter's proof text to the resurrection of Jesus says they were cut to the heart and were left asking What do we do now? (laughs) Uh, The fear of death became very real to them. And the hope of the resurrection became life-giving. But they asked, how do we get in on that? Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you're there in a place where death scares you. There's fear of the grave. There's fear even of hell. And yet you hear this life-giving message of one who has defeated the grave and risen from the dead. 
How do you get in on that? <laughs> How do you get a part of that? Well, the answer the disciples gave at Pentecost was repent and be baptized. And it's a good answer. But maybe this morning in your living room, the prayer sounds something like this. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Ah, the very prayer of David of Psalm 16. A refuge. Not just during this virus. Not just preserve me from sickness. Not just keep me from mortal death. Rather, let's see this refuge as a time that points to deeper realities. The reality of God save me from eternal death. Save me from the fear of hell. God, would you be the one that rescues my soul so that we might live all of our lives with this confidence, the new confidence of David. I will not be shaken. That as Paul says in Romans 8, 11, we might know if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Oh, people of God, may your toes wiggle, may your heart swell, and may with all of your body rejoice in this hope. God will not abandon you to the grave. Nor will he abandon your bodies to corruption. It's, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's the truth. The truth that brings the pleasures of forevermore. Let's pray. God, in the silence of our own hearts and in the places of our own living rooms, would you have your way with us as you would have your way with me? Reveal to us, as you revealed to Peter, as you revealed to David, the truth of the resurrection. A great hope that this life is not all there is, but indeed you have this amazing promise of eternity with you for those who trust. In your son Jesus, in his death, and in his resurrection. Maybe people of God, right where you're sitting today, it's this prayer. Oh, preserve me, oh my God. For in you today I take refuge. Not just during a time of a virus, but for forevermore. It's that simple. Oh, preserve us, O oh God, for in you we take refuge. Oh God, may it be. May it be for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.